awesome. Good morning. I am so glad to be back with you guys. Um, just a quick note, I am not freakishly tall. This is a very short table. Uh, I love, I, I love that I get to be a part of a series that Justin told me about. We're doing John chapter 3. If you have a Bible, please turn there because there's going to be a couple words in an incredibly familiar verse today that I want to just kind of make note of. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to look there. Um, just got back from the beach. I, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands on this. How many of you, how many of you have been on some kind of vacation already this summer? Raise your hands. How many of you are like, man, I cannot wait to go on vacation. That's awesome. That's, that's almost 50, 50. Um, it's just one of those times now, this will maybe the last time I'll ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have been on a vacation and you were probably a day, maybe even two days into it before you had this realization of, I needed this way more than I realized. Anybody else like that? Yes. That's where I was. I, this, this year has gone very quickly, a ton of great experiences, but I did not realize how worn down I had gotten. Uh, the first gentleman who mentored me had this incredible saying that uh, if your output exceeds your intake, then your upkeep will be your downfall. And I was like, I can't even process that right now. But it really is true, and I've been taking one, basically one day off a week, maybe a day and a half off, and that just catches up with you. And, and the, I guess the evidence of that was the second day we were there, uh, we went to bed, and we were at the beach, and we went to bed, and I woke up my body. Does your body clock ever wake you up, like, especially when you're in a habit? So it wakes me up at like 6.45, and I'm just like, oh, man. So I go to the bathroom, I come back, and I was just going to lay here for a minute. I woke up four hours later because I didn't have to get up for anything. And I usually get about seven, seven and a half hours a night, and I slept for ten hours. I'm like, I can't remember the last time I did that. And it just, I just feel so, oh, and it was just such a great week. Got to go to the beach. I love the beach. Got to hang with family. I love my family. And as we're on the beach, this is, this is kind of a pull together. It'll make sense in a minute. We're, we're on the beach. It's the last day we're there. It's just my family. My wife and I, I've been playing in the surf with the kids. I've got an 18-year-old uh, about to go to college, 17-year-old about to be a senior, and a daughter 12. She's about to be in middle school. So i got a middle school, high school, and a college student. And my wife and I have been playing in there. I'm just sitting, sitting on the beach next to her, and I'm like, just so content. I'm like, what a great week. I feel so rested. And as we're sitting there and watching our kids play together and just be crazy in the water, I looked at her, I said, we made those people. How amazing is that? And I said, and they're not in jail and they're just, <laughs> they like each other. And she's like, yes. And we just sat there and just enjoyed that moment and as we did that, and we're about to walk back, start to pack up, go out to eat, and, and it just, it, another piece hit me, that we've been going down to this beach for years. Uh, my wife's parents bought a beach house. It's awesome. It's across the street from the beach. But I'll, if you walk into this beach house, it, it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Every year, we take pictures during this family time. And every year, my mother-in-law will take one of those frames that has like multiple pictures in it, and she'll put that year's pictures in it. So everybody's in every one of these frames. But then all the way up the stairs is the years that we've been there. 
and then down the hall. And you can just see this chronology of history and see the kids literally grow up as you walk up the stairs. It's one of the coolest things ever. And there's this one year as we're walking off the beach that I'm remembering that a hurricane hit. Now, I'm not... I've never lived on a coast during hurricanes, but this particular one, it came landfall right there at Gulf Shores, and it literally just just overwhelmed this area. They closed the whole city down for about a month. The National Guard had to come in. It was just, it was crazy, but one of the effects of this was literally you could drive down the road, and there were these new construction of houses being built. Houses being reconstructed and, and refurbed. But then there were areas where there's a lot and it's just empty. There used to be a house there and now it's gone. And it was all the houses that were older and had a bad foundation or were kind of dilapidated or even abandoned. And, and since the hurricane came through, they were just gone. And it was like, isn't that interesting? And now, several years later, it's all built up, and there's these beautiful new places there, and it's colorful, and it's vibrant and growing. And I thought, how cool is that? When a storm hits, it literally just kind of, one of the bonuses, I guess, or one of the positives, is that it eliminates everything that's not great. And the verse we're going to look at today is kind of, in, the, in a way, that, that epicenter, or that eye of the storm in California where I was born uh, there's earthquakes, not so much hurricanes, but earthquakes. And they're always looking for the epicenter because that is where the most radicalness has happened. And this morning, the verse we're going to look at is the literal epicenter of the entire Bible. And in the best possible way, the closer we can get to these four amazing components in this one central epic verse the more we're going to experience that radical change. I call it letting God wreck our lives in the best possible way. Eliminate that which is old or dilapidated or not useful and replace it with something that is amazing and wonderful and incredible. And the closer we get to that epicenter, the better. And this is the epic verse. This is the verse. If I could put it this way, this is a commercial. I don't even remember what insurance it was for, but I love this commercial. Love it. There's a guy sitting with his buddies by a pool, and there's some girls in the distance. It may be a reception. It may just be a party. And he is sitting there to his friends. I am never getting married. Have you seen this commercial? And then the next scene, he is sitting next to his wife on an airplane going to, their, going to their honeymoon. And there's a kid behind him kicking the seat and screaming. And he's like, we are never having children. Have you seen it? Because then the next scene is they've got a baby. And they're sitting in there. And he's like, we're never having another child. She's like, I'm pregnant again. And then the next scene, they're in a living room at a very high rise in the city. We are never moving to the suburbs. And the next scene, he's got a hose on a minivan in the suburbs. And it's this just colossal, wonderfully paramount scene. And the last scene is him sitting on his couch with his wife under his arm, her head on his shoulder, and two children in their laps. And they're all asleep, and he is awake. And he goes, I am never giving this up. And I'm like, finally, something decent on TV. <laughs> it's a shame it was only 60 seconds, but here's the deal. In our culture... They take the minuscule pieces of life 
And they take that minuscule part and they look at all the negative and every dad is an idiot and insensitive and every family hates each other and every marriage is a chore and every, it just, it takes the negative, tries to spin it as funny and I'm all into funny, but it's just like, it's tragic because what God longs for us to have is life and life abundant. And as we look at that, that idea, this verse, this epic verse And many of you know it by heart. You've memorized it. We've heard it thousands of times. I want us to look at it in a way with just a few components that are just amazing words in here. John 3.16. It's probably the most popular verse of our culture. But there's some amazing pieces to it. If you have your Bible, I want you to open to John 3 because I want you to kind of make some notes on a couple of these words. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's all here. Skip seminary. This is it. You can can get it all from this one verse. It all comes together here. And I love the way it starts. The first component is the, the third and fourth words. For God so loved the world. Not that God loved the world. He so loved the world. He so loved it. Right now, I am counseling a couple who is going to get married in September. I don't do it often. As a good friend of ours, a unique situation, she said, would you do our wedding and would you do the counseling? I'm like, yes. So I'm meeting with them. And I, I, you know what? I want to do this at least once a year because I want to be around couples that are engaged. They are, in our culture, this is what we have in mind of so loved. I'll ask them questions, and every question, if they're not all ready, they'll just look at each other. Oh my gosh, what do you think? I don't know, what do you think? I just, you're so smart. You just, I love you. You're just, I'm just like, wow. And I'm giving them some great questions to discuss, and I love because I'm making them discuss real parts of life. Have you guys got a budget? A budget? Well, you know, we're just, you know, we're just, we're in love. You know, it'll work out. And I'm like, no, it won't. And, uh. And if you deal with it now, then you're going to have this type of love, even a deeper level. It's great. They're like, okay, we get it. And I love that so in love. I want to, on a regular basis, have that adoration for my wife. And I want her to feel that, that I really do. Gosh, I just adore you. And, And I want to be around that to remind me of that. But that love is really just what's played out there a lot as being the only true love. And it's really not. Real love, so loved, is probably better portrayed in the, in the area of being a parent and the idea of being a parent. And you got to see a glimpse of that as Justin baptized his son. That, that was so loved. And here's the deal. As a parent, we've been through it. We can look at a child and say, I so love you. My, my oldest son, who's now 18 and eats a tremendous amount of food, he... he when he was born, I'll never forget, they came in, they said, something's wrong with one of his lungs. We have to take him to the CCU for at least observation for a night. And I'm telling you, the, the thought was in my brain, I have two lungs, take one, right? I will do anything for him. That is so loved. But see, here's the incredible heart of God, and here's where so loved comes in. God wants us to call him Father. It is a relationship. It is not a religion. It is all about knowing him as Daddy and intimately and personally and trusting him. Because as children, we naturally want, 
instead of need. And we actually look and we want, well, this is natural. This is who I am. I want this. And as parents, we go, well, that's, that's not a bad want, but it's not a need. You don't need that now. And we parent our kids because we so love them. We know what they need. My kids, I've told my boys often, I said, I don't care if you're a great athlete. I want you to play and do all you can. I don't care if you're great at this or that. I want you to be a great man. And my job is to train you. And I'm going to have you do some, some actions, make some decisions that are not going to be easy. And they're not going to be natural. You're naturally going to want to take the easy way. And not all easy ways, but every one of us is faced on a regular basis with doing what is natural or trusting what is supernatural. And we have to make that choice. But God says, I so love you. I love you unconditionally. And I love you right where you are. But I love you too much to let you stay there. Because we have a sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. I'll give you two examples. One, uh, we went to Disney when we were, uh, when my boys were smaller. And my nephew, who was about eight or nine at the time, we get up, we're in the condo, we're getting breakfast. And he's like, I don't want bread. I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. It's like, well, you got to eat something. We're going to go to Disney. But I don't want to. I'm not hungry. I don't like this food anyway. And he's been a little bit of a brat about it. And my, finally, my sister just gave up. Well, then don't. Go hungry. That's fine. Well, we get into Disney about 1030, and he's like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Well, honey, I don't think there's a lot you can eat right now. I want cotton candy. And if you see, there's cotton candy, there's ice cream, there's slushies. And, and she bought it for all of it for him. Now, if you're a parent, you can kind of see where this is going. And if it's not obvious, let me make it obvious. He ate all of this and we begin to walk around and it's very hot. Cotton candy, ice cream, plus hot, plus eight-year-old, jiggle it around and you're going to have a rainbow coming out. <laughs> and it did. And it was not pretty. And literally, he's getting sick, and my, my sister's like, oh my goodness, what's wrong? And he goes, I don't know, and he's, he's doing what you do in that situation, and she's like, I don't understand, and I'm thinking, I didn't say it, but I'm thinking, really? You don't understand this. I know, I just, I don't understand, maybe something's wrong. I'm like, no, it's, it, you don't drink, you don't eat cotton candy and ice cream for breakfast, and then go out in the heat. This is the natural result. But that's what he wanted. Doesn't matter. Naturally, eight-year-olds want sugar. That's what we wanted when we were eight. Every one of us wanted sugar. None of us wanted vegetables. None of us wanted food that was good for us. We just want sugar. And it is natural, but it is painful in the future. Sin is no different. God says, hey... You're going to have tendencies, and I'm going to give you the freedom to do whatever you want. But if you want to know what is best, you got to come to trust me. And when you trust me, I so love you. I so love you that I will only share what is best when it's best. But it's up to you to trust me. For God so loved us. I'll give you another example. I have two dogs. Once a week, I give them a special treat. It's kind of a bigger bone, and it's, they love them. And I'm just like, who wants a treat? And they go nuts. And they run to the back door. And I'm like, okay. And we have this little Shizu Chihuahua. And she's down there. She's like a dust mop with eyes and a tongue. And, and I said, Princess, you want a treat? And she's like, yes, 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 yes. 
And I reach down and I give it to her. She takes it in her mouth and I go to pet her. In that fraction of a second, she went from yes to getting in her mouth. And I went to pet her and she's like, Arr! and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Have I ever taken a bone back from you? I don't even want this. All I'm giving you is a treat and you're going to growl at me? And yet, that is our nature. It is to say, and if you have little ones, two and three years old, the favorite word of a three-year-old is mine, mine. My, the hardest concept on the planet to teach a three-year-old is share. Because we are selfish by nature and we want to do what is natural in every situation where God is saying, hey, Sin is sin, and if I want to show, I don't know what yours is, you don't need to know mine, whatever our struggles are, but God says, I love you so much. What so loved is, is probably best wrapped up in John 15, 3. For no greater love is this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. He said, I so loved you, that I will do anything to, to give you forgiveness and to give you perspective and have a relationship with you. That's what so loved is. Emotions, sometimes, some not. But he so loves us. And then the next word I want us to see, the next component of this. He so loved the world that he gave. He gave. One of the key components of love, of this life. And you see this in Jesus' life over and over and over again. And he says it in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. It says, remember the words of our Lord Jesus who said it's more blessed to give than receive. Now, this is not just a, a monetary piece. It is, it is literally a mindset that God is saying, hey, you want to find the greatest joy in life. It's not going to come from what you get. It's going to come from what you give. Something happens when we give. And, and whether it's our talent, our time, whatever it is, when we give, we start to see this is where joy comes. We try to put it in our children. When you're screaming, mine, mine, we're like, share. And then, if you've ever done this with a three-year-old, they're looking at you like, what do you mean share? What is this word you're saying? This is mine. And you want me to let them play with it. Are you out of your mind? Because it's mine. And to teach them that concept, we did it with gum. We had our, our, our kids, they loved their favorite gum, and, and we would just look to catch them sharing it. And when they went to say, hey, do you want a piece to somebody? When they're like four and five, we're like, here's another pack. What? Here it is. Take it. The whole thing's yours. When you give, I will make sure you always have more. And there's something about that that I think is directly from God. And Jesus said, somebody tells you to go a mile, give them another one. They ask for your shirt, give them your coat too. And, and, he, and he's not being metaphorical there. He's saying literally the greatest joy is when we give. Because here's what I've discovered. Here's just a couple minor pieces. That when we say give in a time where I am frustrated. And I don't know if one of you, any of you are there frustrated with any part of life. If I will say, okay, I'm frustrated right now, but I'm going to give. I'm going to focus on giving. What happens is we start to experience freedom from that frustration. And that frustration turns to freedom and then it turns into fulfillment. If, if, we're, if we're at a point of pain in our life and we decide, I'm going to give, then we start to discover there's a purpose behind the pain when God's involved with it. 
And we start to see those, and that purpose turns into peace. And the key is that giving. Giving just unlocks it. Or maybe there's confusion. I don't know what to do. When I give while I'm confused, it doesn't make sense. It turns into clarity of the situation and ultimate confidence. One of the greatest reasons I love One Need, and if you've been around here a little bit, you know this One Need is, is a partnership we have that meets real needs. Somebody comes in, you know somebody with a need, I mean a real life need, send them here, we'll get them online, we'll get one person. Rodney will call them and say, hey, tell me what's going on, how can we help? And then he vets the needs and he puts it out to those of us who are deeders, which are thousands all over the country. Because we know what's been vetted and we know that it's a legit need. We're like, yes, and we can do something. I love those emails. That I can click five bucks, ten bucks, whatever, and I'm part of meeting a real need. I love that. And there's something about perspective I get of how God loves me as I'm giving. I'll give you one of my favorite examples. I may have shared this here before, but it's a different twist on why we had gone down to Costa Rica to serve some friends of ours to lead a basketball camp. And I was having to come back to go on tour with my oldest son. And we're saying goodbyes. He's like, Dad, man, I wish you were staying. I'm like, me too. And he said, but we're going to go surfing. And I said, I know. I said, do you know why we're here? And he said, yeah, you know, to share the love of Jesus through basketball. I said, yes, that's one of the reasons, and I'm glad we're doing that. We're also encouraging our friends who are missionaries. But you know why we are here? And he said, I, I don't get what you're getting at. I said, we're here. We could, we could have led a basketball camp anywhere. We could have sent support to them anytime. I said, but we're here because you told me that you wanted to go surfing. And yes, we're serving and having a great time. But you told your dad, dad, I would love to go surfing. And this is literally one of the best beaches to surf in the world. And we're here because you wanted to go surfing. And my heart is full when I watch you surf. And he's like, well, thanks. And I'm like, yes. And as I left and I got on a plane and I'm flying back, it left this mark on me. And I believe God whispered in my heart, Ken, do you think I am any less than you are? It brings me joy to give to you. To overwhelm you with what only you love to do. And I just sat there and went, wow. God, I, I, I think I'm starting to understand your favor a little bit more. That when we give, we start to experience more than we can imagine. I would put this one line. If you miss everything else today, don't miss this one line. It's this simple concept. When we wake up this, tomorrow morning... We are going to function today, that day, either living to get or living to give. One of the two. If I'm in the live to give mode, I'm going to give a place for my family to live. I'm going to give to the needs that we have. I'm not just working to get. I'm living to give. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to look for those opportunities to see somebody in need and do something about it, to give something some way. Because that's where joy comes from. That's the epicenter. For God so loved that he gave his one and only. The next component is the clarity of every religion that's empty. 
the one and only son. Jesus is it. When people say, man, Christians are hypocrites. I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you guys say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. He, he said it many times. I just believe it. Because here's the deal. Well, we believe Jesus was a good guy and he was a good teacher. No, he wasn't. Either he was who he said he was or he is a raging lunatic. One of the two. There is no in-between. You can't walk around saying, I'm God. No, I'm God in the flesh. I can give you what nobody else in the world can give you. And then he backed it up over and over and over. I didn't say he was that. He said he was that. In John 14, 6, he himself said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. Nobody gets to the Father but through me. And he repeats it over and over and over throughout Scripture. I'm the one you're looking for. The woman at the well. She said, you know what? We hear about the Christ is coming. He goes, that's me. And she went, wow. He claimed it and he declared it over and over. And they killed him for it. Did they kill him because he was a lunatic? Or did they kill him because he was Lord? One of the two. There is no difference. There's one and only, one and only. And here's the incredible part. No other religion, no other faith, no other situation has ever declared that God became a man. Oh, we have a prophet about a man, about God, and he's the one that's deified, but that's not, that's not God. And I love this. He not only says that he came, I love the way he puts it in Hebrews 14, I'm sorry, 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He said, I'm not only just going to come and let you serve me, I'm going to come to serve. I'm not going to come to abolish the law, I'm going to come to fulfill the law. And then I'm going to live within you to empower you. To help you live from what is natural to what is supernatural. If I will trust in the one and only one, this one's not on the screen, but I love this. In Isaiah 41.10, it says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. I'm with you. No other, no other religion set of rules could ever do that. And see, here's the incredible part. I, I, I've had people say, well, you, you know, Christians are hypocrites. I'm like, by what definition? Because a true Christian is one who comes to Jesus and says, I, I'm, I'm, I need help. I need forgiveness. I'm not perfect. I, I did a radio show a few weeks ago. I do one a couple times a month called Faith Talk Live. And I had one of my comic buddies, uh, Josh Harris, on there. And he told his story. It's one of the greatest examples of for God so loved that he gave his only son that whosoever believed in him. It, it's, it's that story. He said, Ken, I was, I was messed up. I came from this mixed weird family. And he said, I realized I'd hit the bottom. I didn't come to God with my act together. I didn't clean up at all. He says, I, I came to God. He says, I was out and I was so wasted. I don't even remember getting in the cab. They would tell me later that I had some money and I passed out in the back seat. 
And the cab driver looked through my stuff and he goes, okay, here's an address. Well, I'd moved, but when I got my license renewed, I was at my mom's house. So he drove me to my mom's house. Ah, <laughs> yeah. And he said, I, I, I paid him, and he said, I literally passed out on her sidewalk going up to her house. She got up the next morning, and here's her son passed out, puked all over himself on his front lawn. And she said, what are you doing? He goes, why am I here? And she said, you're going to rehab. He said, I got in this 12-step thing, and I realized I can't do it, and I need help. And he said, I realized there wasn't just something bigger than me. I needed that help in my life. And he said, I cried out, and God met me where I was. God loves us exactly where we are, no matter where that is, but too much to let us stay there. I can say all day, well, this is just who I am. And God's like, and I love you, and I'll die for you. But I love you too much to let you stay there because there's something so much more. I would not be a good parent. I would not be the ultimate father if I just let you sit and waller in what you want and without giving you what you need. And as God does that, we realize one of the greatest points that whosoever, and I'm not going to dwell on whosoever, but that's all of us. That's the richest of the rich. That's my people at Walmart and Waffle House. That's, that's everybody. Whosoever, and then here's the key term, believes believes, really believes. There's something about belief. It's not the passion with which we believe, and it's not that which we think we believe. It's the point of focus that is believe. I'll give you an example. I can tell you right now. I could say the Braves are going to turn it around this year, and they are going to win the World Series. I know there are 21 games out of the wild card, but it's going to happen. And if you were to take my word for that, you would be an idiot. Because the Braves don't even believe they're going to win. And I can prove it. I was driving down the road the other day and I saw a billboard for the Braves. And it had one of those big foam number one fingers. Have you seen them? Have you seen the billboards? It's like Braves number one. And it, it's not saying we're number one. The slogan is, come to Turner Field one more time. That's it. That's it. They don't even believe it. And it doesn't matter how passionate, it doesn't matter how many jerseys and hats, and you can scream all day long that I believe. It's not the belief or the passion of the belief. It is the core of the focus. There were millions of people, millions, that believed that Hitler was right. He was not. It's not the passion. It is the focal point. And our focal point is the one who said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. I am the Word incarnate. I am God Himself. And when I hear that, what does He say about Himself? And He told us, those that are not like you are, love them and give to them and do good to them, expecting nothing in return. Our call is not to bash or condemn. Sin condemns, we comfort. We welcome with open arms anyone who seeks Christ. And you can even talk bad about him, and we're going to love you anyway. Because we will not condemn, but we will not change the truth. Because the truth is what sets us free from what we condemn ourselves. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
He puts it this way in Romans chapter 10. And it's, it's the most simple. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's something about what we do in baptism. It's just modeled after what Jesus did. There's something only you can say whether you really believe that what happened, happened. I believe Jesus was a real man who really lived, who really claimed to be God, who really was crucified, who really did come back to life. And when a dead man comes back to life, I'm going to listen to him. I really believe that several people around him wrote down Those closest to him wrote down an account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They sat around him and they chronicled what he said, what he did, and how he said it. And we can look at their different views of the same experiences. We can look at those who followed him and what they were willing to do. That convinces me he is who he said he was. He was the epicenter. And the ripple effects are happening today. That he was and is who he says he is. When I was in college, there was a gentleman who was just an incredible clarifier for me. I'll call him Barry, because that was his name. And Barry, Barry was uh, with a Christian organization on campus. He said, Ken, he said, you know, tell me your story. And I told him, he says, well, let me ask you a question. He says, when you die, um, and there's a record, there's kind of a survey out there that one out of one people at some point in their life, they die. I think it's true. And, uh, and I laughed too, and I'm like, that's funny. He says, but when we die, if, he says, I'm not saying it's going to be this way, but he says, if we stand before God, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? What are you going to say? I said, so I'm standing before Jesus, and he says, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? Years before, I would have said, well, I'm, I hope I'm good enough. Well, if you love me, you'll let me in. But then I realized there's a choice involved. And I said, for me, if Jesus asked me that, I said, I'm going to have to say you. You're the only hope I got to get in. I've done nothing. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be perfect. You're the only way I get in. And he said, well, that's the only answer. And he showed me a verse that I grabbed onto. Not that I can think or feel, but that I can know. He says, do you know that you can know that's true? And I said, well, I, I, I think so. I, I'm pretty sure. And he goes, well, don't be pretty sure anymore. He says, for the testimony is this, that God gave us his son, and in his son is eternal life. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. For I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you can know that you have eternal life. That's it. Now, I've laid this out. I love that verse. It's probably the most impossible and simple verse to ever speak on. John 3.16. For God so loved you this week, I would invite you to let God wreck your world in the best possible way. It may be to dwell on the, the fact that, God, you so love me. God, you want to give to me and through me. Jesus 
I just want to tell you that I believe you're the one and only son. And Lord, I want to say I believe. I, I don't know what part it is for you, but I know that this week, that truth, this epic verse will wreck your life in the best possible way if we'll let him. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for who you are and how you are. And Lord, you really do long to just wreck our world in the best possible way. You love us 100% the way we are. But so, so much more to let us stay that way. You long for us to have fulfillment and peace and clarity and confidence. And that comes only from Jesus. Thank you for Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that, that power that raised Christ from the dead that lives in us. Help us rely on that this week. Amen. God bless you guys.